guys, what is good? This is Morgan Mueller coming at you with the Joy and Hope podcast, where we seek to bring light to the dark. We actually have each of these episodes begin as a YouTube video. So if you would like to watch the original content on YouTube, search my name, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, on YouTube, look for the Joy and Hope logo. But otherwise, thanks for being here. Enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, Morgan here bringing you another episode of Joy and Hope. If you are new to this channel or to this podcast, I invite you to go ahead and subscribe. These weekly episodes air on YouTube on Mondays every week and on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify as podcasts every Tuesday. And they simply aim to bring light to the dark Um, My mission here at Joy and Hope is to create content that uplifts and inspires people to live happier, hopeful, more hopeful, more joyful lives. So if that sounds good to you, please subscribe to this channel, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss out on new material. If you have not turned on the notification bell as well on YouTube, go ahead and click that. So in case for some reason I'm feeling crazy and post a video outside of the normal time, you won't miss out on that either. But before we get to today's episode, I'm feeling a little crazy. (laughs) So I especially could use a prayer. So if y'all would pray with me, I would really appreciate it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Totus tuus Maria, ego sum. I am totally yours, Mary. Okay, last thing before we dive into today's episode. I want to shout out all of my patrons on Patreon, because these people, these currently 34 individuals or families, have taken it upon themselves to become financial sponsors for Joy and Hope. They're the ones enabling me to do this ministry full-time. And my patrons on Patreon, as well as one-time donations, are the way that I am making money right now because I, I just feel convicted by the Lord that I'm supposed to be giving my whole life to Him in this way. So if you are a frequent flyer <laughs> on this channel or podcast, I really invite you to consider going to the link in the description below this video, this podcast. Um, go to patreon.com slash Morgan Mueller and just check it out um, for as little as $3 a month. I know that that's a cliche plug for money, but seriously, for as little as $3 a month, you can become a patron and you simply support joy and hope in this journey, but also receive monthly newsletters on what the Lord is allowing to happen through this ministry. And if you become a nine or even $25 patron, there is merchandise and additional exclusive benefits that you would be able to access on those tiers. So please prayerfully consider becoming a patron. Go check it out. The least you could do is go to the page and pray over it for me. I would really appreciate that as well. For God's will to be done here, it would mean a lot. So selfless plug, (laughs) shameless plug, whatever that phrase is. So also thanks to each and every patron. 
I can't say thanks enough. You guys are the best, and I love you. Um, today's episode um, might be a little heated, just because it's something I'm really passionate about. So not heated in the sense that it's bad, but after my friend Kirsten and I made a video, made an episode last week, where we talked about Protestantism, Catholicism, and how to heal a divided church, and Kirsten shared her story of how she is entering into the Catholic Church currently. Part of our conversation included how often in our world, at least in our modern American culture, where the two of us live, so that's where our experience is coming from, how often we hear the phrase, your truth. And I put your in quotation marks on purpose because there's no such thing as your truth. There's no such thing as my truth. It sounds nice to be able to say, oh, I can believe what I believe and you can believe what you believe. But that is totally different than saying, I can have my truth and you can have your truth. Because beliefs are different than truths. And truth, when we are talking about truth, we're talking about Christ himself. In scripture, you guys, like Jesus tells us, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So whether or not the world sees truth as that, as Christians, we're operating on this principle that Jesus himself is the truth. And even if we don't want to look at it from a spiritual standpoint from the beginning, maybe if we're trying to dialogue with people who aren't even Christian, it's important that we all have fundamental truths. Because if we don't, the world would become chaos and confusion. For example, think about math. Whenever I was substituting in a first grade classroom last fall, I was helping teach math and in the second grade classroom as well. So whether that's adding something as simple as two plus two, there are truths in math that we in America cannot change. Um, it's like, let's say something was made in like, let's say that a mathematician was from Germany centuries ago. Math like doesn't change, like truth can't change. So whoever came up with two plus two can't change in my, my current American culture just because I want it to. I, Morgan, don't get to decide today that two plus two is now five instead of four. If I started teaching that to those little kids that day, I would have been fired on the spot because we operate under these principles of truth. So truth is foundational. I can't have a truth and you can't have a truth. There's one truth. And it's about coming to understand the truth as we mature, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically, but also spiritually. So I just really want to talk about that today and how we need to stop saying that. This is especially a call to Christians and most specifically a call to Catholics. We cannot identify with that false notion of I can have my truth and you can have yours. That's impossible. There's no such thing. I wrote a few reflections on my laptop, and so I want to read them so that I don't forget those thoughts. So excuse me if you're watching this on YouTube and I'm looking away, but I really 
I really want to talk about a couple more things on those notes. I want to talk about the difference between relative and absolute as well as the words subjective and objective because sometimes I still get these things confused as well. But first let's talk about relative and absolute. So if something is relative to my life experience, it means that it's exactly that. It is based on my life experience. It's not absolute. Um, So let's say for me, what could be relative? Sorry, I didn't think of examples before I started this. Come Holy Spirit. So relative. Um, Let's say for me, Christmas, like the weather for Christmas um, means like I associate that with winter being snowy and cold because I grew up in the Midwest and I've, I've never been anywhere outside the Midwest for like what really felt like Christmas because if it's not cold or it's not snowing on Christmas Eve, something feels off to me just because my life experience has told me growing up in the Midwest that Christmas is supposed to be like this season where the weather is cold and it's snowing. And that's part of the quote unquote magic of the Christmas spirit. Okay. Now, absolute, let's talk about that. Christmas, it doesn't matter what the weather is because the first Christmas when Jesus was born was in the Holy Land. I don't really know what the weather in the Holy Land is like, but I'm going to assume it's not a ton of snow and it's not always freezing cold on Christmas. So if the first Christmas wasn't snowing and wasn't cold, Christmas, that's not an absolute part of Christmas. It doesn't have to be like the weather that I want it to be for it to be Christmas and for that to be true. So let's make that note first. The difference between relative and absolute. The same goes for something that's subjective and objective. So this gets a little tricky, even in my own brain. So again, sorry if I'm looking away. But if something is subjective, it's in the same category as relative. So if I have a subjective view of something, it's more like my opinion. Whereas so opinions are subjective, okay? An opinion is, is subjective. Facts are objective. Again, whenever I was substitute teaching in the first grade classroom, that was something I had to teach one day, which was crazy because I was like, I don't even know what these mean and I'm 24. Um, but yeah, so like you were teaching these first graders, subjective is an opinion and objective is a fact. Going back to the mathematics example, one plus one is always gonna be two. That is a fact, that is an objective truth. Subjective truths can't be said to be truth, not in the sense that objective things are. I can have my opinion, this could be subjective. The fact that I love M&Ms and they're my favorite candy, if I said that. That could be a subjective truth in my own life because I do love M&M's. They are my favorite candy. But that is not true for the person next to me, possibly. Their favorite candy could be Reese's or could be Sour Patch Kids. Those things 
can be opinions. In that sense, you could have different subjective truths. However, it is vital to address the fact that objective truths are always true. So people make religion, they try to make religion something that is subjective. Like, you're this, cool. I'm that, and it's fine. That's not true. Because objectively, there is a truth, and it is Christ. So, that's the first note I wanted to make. In our world, as I just said, again, driving this home, there are certain absolute objective truths. For example, 2 plus 2 is always 4, whether or not someone comes along and really feels like it should be 5. It doesn't change the truth. These facts are true when it comes to morals. So often people will use their life experience as an excuse for not wanting to follow the truth, i.e. Christ, or be a part of the Catholic Church. Although I get that this must be an extremely difficult thing for people to swallow sometimes, and that it's something I'm blessed to not have had to come to on my own since I was baptized Catholic and I was raised in this fullness of the faith, the Catholic Church, the universal church, the only church Christ founded himself. It can't stop me from sharing this truth with other people who don't have that same experience, but who I long for, as Christ said from the cross, I thirst thirst for these souls to come into his church. That's what I want to speak to most especially in this episode. Even if someone didn't grow up doing math at all and was only presented with the equation 2 plus 2 as an adult, it doesn't change the fact that the answer is and always will be 4. No matter how long it takes to understand it or whether you spend your whole life refusing to believe it and only ever getting as far as one plus one. As Catholics, there's actually a term. I learned this in college and I tried to find it before I made this episode and I can't come up with it. Please comment below if you know what it is or direct me to that link. But So in the Catholic Church, there is a term used to describe how other religions, especially Christian denominations, contain certain degrees of truth and that those degrees of truth are springboards and starting points, but only in the church founded by Christ himself, the Catholic Church, is the fullness of the faith to be found. And just so you know that I am not just pulling this out of my own brain, I'm going to quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church to you. <laughs> so hang on tight. I know it's going to be a lot, but Bear with me, brother or sister, for the sake of the truth. This comes from paragraph 3. The church is one holy, catholic, and apostolic. So talking about the church is one in particular. That's what we're going to focus on. And this is um, section 814. From the beginning, this one church 
has been marked by a great diversity, which comes from both the variety of God's gifts and the diversity of those who receive them. Within the unity of the people of God, a multiplicity of peoples and cultures is gathered together. Among the church's members, there are different gifts, offices, conditions, and ways of life. Holding a rightful place in the communion of the church, there are also particular churches that retain their own traditions. The great richness of such diversity is not opposed to the church's unity. Yet sin and the burden of its consequences constantly threaten the gift of unity. And so the apostle has to exhort Christians to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The apostle being referred to in this circumstance is St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians See chapter 4, verse 3. Um, Section 815 of the Catechism. What are these bonds of unity? Above all, charity binds everything together in perfect harmony. But the unity of the pilgrim church is also assured by visible bonds of communion. Profession of faith, number one, received from the apostles. Number two, common celebration of divine worship, especially of the sacraments. Number three, apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders, maintaining the fraternal concord of God's family. Section 816. The sole church of Christ is that which our Savior, after his resurrection, entrusted to Peter's pastoral care, commissioning him and the other apostles to extend and rule it. This church, constituted and organized as a society in the present world, subsists in the Catholic Church which is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. The Second Vatican Council's decree on ecumenism explains, for it is through Christ's Catholic Church alone, which is the universal help toward salvation, that the fullness of the means of salvation can be attained. For it is through Christ's Catholic Church alone, which is the universal help toward salvation, that the fullness of the means of salvation can be obtained. It was to the Apostolic College alone, of which Peter is the head, that we believe that our Lord entrusted all the blessings of the new covenant in order to establish on earth the one body of Christ in which all those should be fully incorporated who belong in any way to the people of God. Boom, mic drop. However, I think it's important to note these next couple sections, so please bear with me. 8.18 However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those who at present are born into these communities that resulted from such separation and in them are brought up in the faith of Christ outside of the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. All who have been justified by faith and baptism are incorporated into Christ. They therefore have a right to be called Christians and with good reason are accepted as brothers in the Lord by the children of the Catholic Church. 819. Furthermore, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. 
y'all might need to just go read this yourself because like I'm even reading it out loud and I'm not even catching all this good stuff. So, man, all these blessings come from Christ and lead to him and are in themselves calls to Catholic unity. This is the last um, paragraph that I'm going to um, quote here. This is 820 or section, I suppose. I never really know what to say, how to label the catechism sections. They are very confusing sometimes. They're just a lot of numbers. Even though you read the words, you're like, how is this labeled? Anyway, this last part is titled Toward Unity, section 820. Go read it all for yourself. It is so good. Find it online. That's how I found it first, honestly. So, here we go. Christ bestowed unity on his church from the beginning. This unity, we believe, subsists in the Catholic Church as something she can never lose. And we hope that it will continue to increase until the end of time. Christ always gives his church the gift of unity, but the church must always pray and work to maintain, reinforce, and perfect the unity that Christ wills for her. This is why Jesus himself prayed at the hour of his passion and does not cease praying to his Father for the unity of his disciples, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. This comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 21. The desire to recover the unity of all Christians is a gift of Christ and a call of the Holy Spirit. All for the greater glory of God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can you see why I said it was going to be a little heated? Feel free to like, comment, share, but you do you. And let God do God. And I hope to see y'all back here again soon because I really enjoy pursuing the truth with you. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Joy and Hope podcast where we seek to bring light to the dark. If you enjoy our mission, we would love for you to become a patron on Patreon. Our patrons are what make it possible for us to continue doing Joy and Hope full-time, bringing you the inspiring creative content that uplifts you to live more joyful, hopeful lives. So please consider supporting us. Thanks so much for being here today. God bless and see you next time.